the Fantasy Six-Pack Hour. With your hosts, Joe Bob. Ah, you're awful. And A.J. Applegar. Sin Shu Chu. It's a mouthful. Alright, alright. Welcome to the Fantasy Six Pack Hour. My name is Joe Bond, founder of FantasySixPack.net. With me as usual on a special Monday night, AJ Abagarth. What's going on, man? Not much. Glad to be here. Rocking my uh, my dual fandom shirt here for the, the, the game that was played earlier today. What, what did you um, call it? The, or, uh, this one is the... the, or, the Oralies. Oralies. Okay. Yeah. Oralies. All right. Yeah. So a, you guys can't tell behind the mic. It says it's an or it's half yeah, Orioles, right. half Philly shirt. Oralies. Yeah. That's a pretty sexy name. All right. Uh. Yes. This is a well one of one of a two piece gift set that my wife got for me because you got flipped um, the other way as well. Yeah. Yeah. So she had a, a friend of hers that's uh, handy with the sewing machine. Um, to split the two shirts for for us and and made them up, so pretty cool. I, it's a cool shirt. I, I I don't know if I dig the name, but I'll, I'll let you roll with that one. Um, so come up with something better. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not that creative. Anyway, uh, so tonight we got a, we got a cool show on. That's why we're doing a special night. Uh, tried to get him on a, a little earlier this season, but couldn't work it out. So, um. We're gonna bring on Ariel Cohen here soon and talk about some, talk about his awesome projections, some draft strategy, team building, game theory, you name it. We're gonna get into it, kind of help you set your set your team up for success in the draft. Uh, but before we get there, I want to remind everybody to subscribe and follow us on YouTube, Periscope, while it's still around. Who knows what's going on with that? And uh, you know, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to us, uh, we appreciate the support. All right, AJ, let's do our beer of the week. I didn't have the music cued, so we're just going to do it. <laughs> I totally forgot. Yes. Uh, yeah, just not like, with us tonight. I, mean, I wouldn't so have heard it me. anyway. So. I know. So it's, I'm just letting everybody right. know who's used to hearing that. Just, that didn't happen tonight. <laughs> so, Alrighty. Uh, what you got, man? All right. I, I honestly don't remember if I've had this one on the show. I feel like maybe I did recently, but I'm having it again. If I did, it's the flying monkeys craft brewery, uh, adventures in time surfing, strong beer, 8.2%. Uh, it's a double IPA. So pretty cool can art. I don't know if you're into the can art, that is a bunch of little cassette tapes on the back here. So paying a little homage to my, my, ancient childhood all right crack it open let us know man all right will do what you got so i'm drinking an aslan brewing company stellar parallax a double ipa uh 8.1 yeah i can read that right it's upside down uh 8.1 i've had a few of these already but uh not on the show i gave it a four and untapped it's it's good stuff excellent excellent all right. So, without further ado, let's bring on our guest, Ariel Cohen. Uh, I mean, you can't say much more about the accolades of him, man. Author of the ATC projections that you can find over on Fangraphs. Uh, he was the 2019 
number one accurate projections with those. 2019 number one accurate ranker over Fantasy Pros. <laughs> 2019 FSWA Baseball Writer of the Year. And then 2020, he had the Fantasy Baseball Article of the Year. And he's uh, obviously over on Fangraphs and, and Roto Baller as well. Ariel, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. And uh, pleasure to be with you gentlemen this evening. Absolutely. Yeah. Glad to have you on. Pleasure is all ours, man. Uh, we we are glad to have you here breaking down some draft strategy and uh, you know, explaining the projections and things like that. So, w- with that in mind, let's uh, let's jump right into it, man. You know, w- without giving away all your secrets, you know, l- let us know about your ATC projections. You know, what what goes into them, and and just what makes them so good. I mean, they were they like I said, you know, they were number one accurate projections according to Fantasy Pros in 2019, um, and that probably helped lead you to be the number one accurate ranker in 2019 as well uh so you're obviously doing something right over there with those with those projections you know let us know kind of how 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 that process rolls for you yeah i I paid off fantasy pros that that went a long way (laughs) now now, uh so uh the atc projections are uh, an aggregation system i actually don't do projections of my own per se meaning i don't sit and say, I think this guy is going to have that many at bat, this many homers. I take a bunch of other projections that are pretty good and combine them together. But I don't just say, let's just take an average. Uh, I've actually studied projections for years and years to know which projections are better for which stats. There are some projections that are better for homers, some projections that are better for pitcher strikeouts, some for better for intentional walks. And I know mathematically I've run regression models and correlation models and everything to know how to fit them together to get the best predictor of next year it's sort of the model that nate silver uses at 538 uh where he does political projections he doesn't do his own polling but he scours other polling and he's able to give the best probability model for what candidates are going to do the following year because he grades how good each model is he uh, how each poll is he knows how to combine them for some polls they're better in north dakota and terrible in florida and some are better in south dakota and bad in mississippi and he knows how to combine them the right way to get a better predictor in total and that's pretty much in a nutshell very 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 high level how ATC works, and obviously it does work, um, and and why not? It's the smartest parts of all the smartest other projections. So uh, hey, there you that go. Sounds good to me, man. I definitely uh, <laughs> got. You know, I, I do pay close attention to the ATC rankings when I pull some numbers. I don't do my own projections either, and I pull aggregates and things like that um, when, when I do my own rankings and, and and all that kind of good stuff. And, and when I try to get numbers for players that that I'm looking for. Um, but yeah, that's good to know with ATC. Um, I, I did not know all of that about it, but that's, uh, that's awesome to know. Yeah. So looking back at last year, um, obviously it was a, an interesting season. Um, if you want to call it that since it was only 60 games, but how much did that 60 game season factor into your projections for this year for 2021? I mean, was it less than a typical season normally would, or did you, do you kind of ignore a little bit of last year and just kind of go off of, of 2019? What was your process for that? 
Yeah. So again, you know, since ATC looking at other different projections, uh, different projection systems do different things. Um, I know a lot of the projections people that I use and some that I don't use that I know. And uh, I, I, I actually I came out with an article on Fangraph that polled some of the other guys and talked about uh, what they did. I found that the more manual projection systems really counted 2020 almost as is. You know, if a guy had a great strikeout rate, they counted that. Um, obviously, it was a case by case basis per player, but you know, on the general rule, they use pretty much a normal factor that they would. Some of the automatic projection systems, the more formulaic based, really discounted it quite a bit. They counted it 60 games as part of 162, so we're talking about a third credibility for the year. So, in the overall screen, in the overall scheme, mm. whereas a general projection, if you're using the prior year, it would be like 50% of your weight, this was closer to 25 for them. Now, ATC combined both of them so i ended up somewhere in the middle uh i have pretty much a one-third weight on last year and if you do the math that comes out to treating it as if it wasn't a 60 game season but that but as if it was an 81 game season so count it not as a whole season not as a third season but a half season and i think that is actually a pretty good approach to do yeah, last year was so strange and like when i'm trying to just like evaluate like look at players and evaluate them like this in my head per se, even just you look at some of the stats and you're like, some players were so down and you're just going, well, what in the world happened? And some players just went sky high and you're like, well, can I believe it? Um, some guys were the same. And, but like, you know, some players that you would expect natural, um, you know, just, it just an incline of their numbers, right? Like last year fine maybe that's what you got from them that's what you expect so like it's I, it's just gonna be so weird like this year i feel like projections are gonna be just all over the place just because last year was so hard to count and trust for so many different players yeah. regardless of the if they were up or down or just kind of stayed par like yeah who knows what it meant there, there's no doubt that the accuracy of projections are going to be worse for this coming year than they have been for a long time. Mm -hmm. Just because you have worse information, you have an irregular season that we've never done. I mean, we've never had... Uh, I was actually just talking on, on my own show with uh, that I had Stefania Bell on uh, as a guest, and you know she mentioned the point that you know pitchers, it wasn't just they pitched a small number of innings. It was they started, they stopped, then they had a short ramp-up, uh, it's there was there's nothing to compare it to in in, yeah. in in the past. So projecting next year is a very very difficult task, and I'm not surprised if this is going to be the least accurate projections. But again, it's not about having good projections or bad projections. It's about having better projections than your peers or your league mates. It's having mm -hmm. the advantage over them. So I think that the relative you can still compare. Uh, re relatively between players and projection systems could be better than one another, even if they're all much worse than last year. Yeah, no, hands down. That, that's absolutely right. You just got to be better than everybody else. It doesn't matter how bad we are. <laughs> well, that's so. what the stock market is, right? It's not yep. about, not about picking a stock that's going to go great. It's about finding a stock that people do not value and you value more and you know how to buy and sell and short and when, and you know, do whatever you have to do to make the money. It's not about finding the total dollars that are good it's the marginal ones and the ones to know where to buy and sell yeah gamestop <clears throat> apparently gamestop is hot <laughs> oh, <laughs> or was Until they... it was but for two was days yeah exactly such a weird one 
right. Well, let's move on here to one of your articles that uh, that won you uh, baseball writer of the year. Uh, so you talked about over on Roto Baller finding combo speed power all throughout the draft uh, using Z scores. Uh, explain that a little bit to the listeners and, and watcher, you know, people watching us right now and, and just why this is so helpful for people to learn and use in their drafts. First of all, it's great to use the letter Z. Most people don't use the letter Z enough. Um, so just, just for that, it's good. Now, a Z score is uh, it's a statistical standard score. It's, uh, it, it's, if you have a sample data, it's about putting it in terms of an average and a standard deviation. So um, it, how do you know that what nine homers and nine stolen bases mean, which, which is worth more? Right, just to say that you have nine. How do you combine them? How do you know what's the combination of what is one worth versus the other? You have to find a way of standardizing uh, numbers. Mm-hmm. So I express homers not as a dollar, not as a, an amount, but as a standard deviation, as a z score relative to the average. Well, the average homers, someone's going to hit is fifteen in baseball, and if you got thirty, then you're some number of standard deviations above. And you can do that for homers and stolen bases, and for any of the other statistics. And that will give you a way to relate the categories. The thing about um, combo players is that the most stable of all the players, as my research has shown, is players who do a little bit of each. You don't get enough stability from stolen base only players. Adalberto Mondesi Mm -hmm. is a risky commodity. You're better off getting guys who do a, a little bit of both, a lot of both. And it helps to know all throughout the draft where these players are. You're going to find most of them at the top of the draft, but then you're going to find pockets of them in the middle where there's, uh, hey, they're, there's, they're in four categories. They're at least half a standard deviation above the average. Those are the players that make more sense to target. So uh, th- that's what I was doing in the article. And uh, it's a great way to read data if you're talking about relating categories yeah yeah it, i sorry uh, go ahead, go ahead, Jay. all right yeah i was gonna say just looking through this article it i mean it just it really did blow my mind just seeing how all of the like i've never really gotten into the statistics side of things i mean i count the stats and you know play fantasy but i mean this just delves into so much more and and it's really fairly easy to understand the way that you have it broken out here. So I will definitely be tracking this for, for this coming year on how to compare these guys and, and really going forward. Um, you know, I, we play in uh, our fantasy six pack staff league is a categories league. Now it's, it's not standard five. We've, we've tweaked it a little bit, um, but it, it's still going to translate over to that. And, uh, I mean, just right off the bat, the the two approaches that you have for each one was just, I mean, it's so simple, but it's such an easy thing to think about and how you want to do it. You know, are you going to try to get the power bats early or are you going to get them late? Are you going to get your speed guys early or are you going to get them late because of really the same problem? So I I found it very interesting in, in, uh, in my reading of this. Yeah, you know, it's it's something that when I when I read like I felt like I've always tried to do it. You know, I try to get those power speed combo guys early on. But this article really hit it home to me. Like you gotta go get those guys who can give you both early on. Even if it means you're not gonna get 
you know, uh, a 45 home run guy early on in the, you know, or whatever you want to call it early on, you're not going to get modesty. He's going to get these 60 steals early. You can't go to, you know, to outlier. It felt like too early because you get yep. hurt in all the other categories because of it to where later on, everybody's getting hurt in every category at some point, yeah. like, except for like one or two with these guys. Yeah. So like, that's when you want to take your outlier guys, not early and, on. Yeah. And it has to do with profile risk, right? You, you want to have guys that if they get hurt, they're the, uh, they're going to affect your team the least. If you have an all or nothing guy, your categorical balance is screwed if they go down. But if you have a guy who's fairly balanced, then you're less affected. You know, it, look, I, I just did some of this uh, a couple of hours ago. I don't know if you guys are familiar with TGFBI, the great yep. fantasy I'm baseball in invitational. In right and now. there you go. All right. Came to my turn. I, I'm the uh, ninth pick. So okay. in, in this, I, I got Cole. Lucky to get Cole in the first round. Mm. Came back to me. I had a chance to get Mondesi. I had a chance to get uh, anybody else, Pete Alonzo, you know, somebody who's going to be dynamic. I went with Bo Bichette because Bo Bichette yeah, has no, a presence in every love single category. That, love that pick. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And then it sets me up for later in the draft it does. that I can I can get a power guy. I can get a speed guy. I can go many places, but I can go for value later on because mm-hmm. I've got a flat balance. Early. Yeah. No, I love that pick. And, and, and honestly, I, I had – there was only three pitch. I had the fifteenth pick, so I only, you know, th- there was only three pitchers that went ahead of me. So I could have taken a lot of those, you know, Darvish and Bowers. I'm slightly nervous about them this year, just because, like, look, 2020 was awesome for them. Like, eh, okay, uh, not that they haven't been awesome in the past, but th- we've also seen Bauer have like what a five era one season like eh, i'll pass uh you also so, threw a ball over the center field wall that was pretty cool yeah it's pretty awesome uh if i could get some fantasy points for that I, i'd draft him but no that's probably not happening but yeah so anyway 15 16 pick i i went with manny and lindor just because they're, they're both five category guys and they're they're pretty nice for the batting average. I know uh, Lindor was a little down last year, but I I find that more of an outlier for him than his his career than what's going to happen moving forward. Um, but you know, I, I, the only guy I debated differently was Harper, but I like the batting average from Manny over Harper than Lindor, and I wanted the steals from Lindor big time. So that, yeah, that's I was de- I was debating. Uh, I could have gotten Machado at, at, when I came around the second pick. I was really debating Machado versus Ooh. Bichette. And um, I went Bichette because uh, uh, he gives you the stolen bases. And I feel like if I yes. didn't take that, I would have to. It was a small reach in the second round. But if I didn't take Bichette, then I would have to reach somewhere a lot more and lose my value later on. So I figured a little bit of a reach now would save me uh, Would save me now. And I, I, I know Machado is great. but I uh, agree with that. Yeah. But had I not taken Lindor, I probably would have taken Bichette over Manny as well. So I agree with go. that. But yeah, I mean, that's yeah, perfect, right. perfect example, though, of how realizing that these power speed guys early on, even though you might suffer slightly in home runs or suffer slightly in stolen bases overall over some of these like big guys that are like Montesis and, you know, whoever else is going to bash like 60 home runs this year, who, who knows that's, who that's going to be like, that's. That's where you just you want the balance early on, and then take your reaches later, take your outliers later. Yeah. And that's that's what this goes to. So, I think it was great. Thank yeah. you. 
So uh, moving on from that article, you have another fantastic article out there for this year um, where you talk about inner projection volatility. So explain basically what this means and, and how you use it during your drafts. Okay, so it's a really good one here. The ATC projections, as I described, take a bunch of other projections, right? Now, what I produce is an average. It's the ATC average, the average total cost of all the projections. But what you're missing in just getting a number is getting a picture for what do the projections look like, right? For some players, all the projections are pretty similar, right? Pete Alonso is going to hit 40 homers. Pete Alonso is going to hit 38, 39, 41. It's pretty close. But for some players, projections are all over the place. Um, some have uh, 20 homers, 25 homers, 30 homers, 25, right? Um, you don't get a feel for how volatile projections are just from looking at one number. So I have released a couple of different statistics. One of them is interprojectional standard deviation, which gives you a feel for how variable. In general, if you have two players with roughly the same value, same auction draft value, you want to pick the player with less volatility, right? If, if projections are more sure of a guy, it's safer than when projections are just less safe of a guy. You're cutting down the parameter risk, uh, and you want to do that. And this lets you pick players who are a little bit more sure of themselves. But I also have another statistic called a skew, interprojectional mm-hmm. skew. For some projections, for some players, projections are both up and down equally over the average. But for some projections... The there's one outlier projection really high that shifts the ATC above average up and the bulk of projections are still below, which tells you that maybe the player is a little bit lower than the ATC average says because, you know, most of the weight is below just one projection is outlined. And the reverse, a negative skew would be where one projection is really down, but there's upside. So I try to get players with a little bit of negative skew to say, hmm, most of the projections are pointing that direction up. Um, I might go there. I don't use this as a be-all, end-all, but I think it paints a good flavor for each player and how projections are looking at them. And it gives you a nice tiebreaker scenario and an an element of how risky the player is. Yeah, I think with, uh, you know, what we talk about a lot with our fantasy football is consistency. And and to me, this this kind of really brought that into perspective a little bit more just because you're looking at guys who you're not going to risk a good pick on if they're not going to consistently return the stats and points that you need. Um, and, and I think it's, it's pretty similar to this. Um, you know, obviously translated into baseball instead. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's some people that for me, I don't mind taking risks on, uh, even though they are a quote unquote risky play, but I, I like my guys and, and I like looking at the different stats and where they can go. So until they really burn me, then they you know they have a chance to be on my team. They're not quite dead to me until until that happens, and then it's just ah, you're you're gone. <laughs> I, I think what this really shows me is that you know exactly what you said, Ariel. Where like you're looking at two three guys at your pick, you're going, ah, I don't really know what to pick. That they're all kind of the same. Like they're all within like five picks of my rankings or whatever rankings you want to use, right? I don't know who to pick. They're all the same. Well. 
you said, well, who's going to give me the most upside? If you want somebody who's going to give you upside, this tells you this is an upside play. And then if you want somebody like AJ wants, you want somebody a little safer, maybe you go somebody who's got a plus number in that category. And that's, that's a great tool to to have in, in your arsenal there. So, um, yeah, when, yeah, again, like when I, when I read both of these articles that you wrote, I just was like, these are all things that everybody thinks about, but nobody can quantify them. And like nobody has them, you know, just readily available. So (laughs) this teaches everybody to have these tools readily available for them in drafts. And, be better. And, and more important, and yeah, and more important than than quantifying, and of course, quantifying is towards that is actionable. I yes. think that a lot of articles you see in fantasy baseball, oh, this guy's good, this guy's good, hit a lot of homers. All right, uh, th- great, and those are <laughs> wonderful articles, and I read them, and I get a lot of information out of them. But you're missing the actionable point, and this is mm-hmm. basically giving you an actionable. I'm saying take two guys with the same value. But look at their volatility and action on that. Take the one with the less volatility. Take the one with the negative skew. Um, Because my research has shown that on average, guys with the same auction value, the one that's riskier is the worst one on average. And the one that has a negative skew is the better one. So it tells you exactly, uh, gives you an action and lets you quantify what risk. Risk is so hard to quantify. But uh, I think that this is not an end. This is just one step in the right direction towards doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like learning learning when to take risk and when not to take risk in drafts is is something that is a is kind of a, a learned skill. And, and you know, I'm going to ask you a kind of a question that that we didn't throw in here early. You know, I didn't send you, but I want to ask you about like when do you like to take with these tools in your back pocket? Like when is it right for you to take? risks because you've got I feel like you have to do yep. it to be able to take to win these leagues you've got to take risks you've got to go with these like super high upside guys like yeah otherwise if you're just going to take all these safe players you're you're probably going to finish in the middle of the pack so when are you comfortable um, taking risks okay so the the name of the game is not taking risky players or not risky players or taking guys with upside mm-hmm. the name of the game is earning a profit on each player in each round and a risky player requires a bigger profit return a safer player requires a less of a profit return i'm willing to take a player higher if i think the player is safer and i'm willing to take a player i have to take a player less lower if the player is riskier so um i i risk adjust i take my pricing and i say okay well this guy is worth a fifth round pick but he's riskier so he's now – I would have to get him in the seventh round in order for it to be a profit, and I will only take him if it's the seventh round or later. Um, it, it's not about just when and where. I think it, it's you have to look at each player and risk adjust where you would take them. Now, I'm risk-averse in general. I like to draft Me as le- least risky a team <laughs> as possible because I don't think you need upside. I think you need to hit singles and doubles. I, I would rather earn a two-round profit on everybody on my roster than just take a guy who I think, wow, this guy's going to be the next star. I don't need that. I'd rather return a little bit on each each profit. Now, if you're later, but of course, you know, earlier on, you need to take floors. You need to take guys that are not going to produce a stinker. But later on in the draft, you do need to shoot for upside because remember, you can always cut a guy mm-hmm. and replace them on waivers. Um, if you are in that situation, 
then the opportunity cost lower is so much lower. Like you're not giving up much draft capital if you take a guy lower. So you might as well take the highest upside guy because you'll throw away a guy who doesn't work anyways, and you'll replace him with somebody on the waiver wire. For me, it's a little bit later on. If I'm in a 30-round draft, I only look for those guys 20th round and later because I want that production even in the middle rounds. Uh, but again, up and down, I'm okay with drafting a risk. I've drafted really risky teams as long as I think I've got a great bargain on each of them. But more often than not, I take one or two risky guys, a lot of stable guys, and you know, fill in each way. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm basically spot on with that. I, I'm, I'm very risk adverse with football and baseball, so um, I feel like we we could probably draft a pretty good team together. We'd get along pretty well in our drafts. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that you know, in order to win. You're you're gonna find every every team every player who's gonna play is gonna find some players that wow I found this guy I got lucky on this guy yes. you're gonna get lucky somewhere of course. so if you want to win if you want to win first place it's not about finding every super lucky guy it's having enough of the base of production so that when you find your two three lucky guys you have enough to put you over the hump mm-hmm. and I think people just shoot for the moon all the time and don't realize that yeah of yes. course you can win that way it's possible but you're more likely to win if you have enough of a base of, 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 a, of a stable team and then shoot for the upside with some. And that's, by the way, that's how the stock market works. When people make a portfolio, they don't just take risky, risky stocks. The better portfolios have a lot of stability and a couple of risks here and there to give them the right amount of volatility edge. And that works in the stock market. That works in, in uh, baseball, fantasy baseball as well. 100% It's all gambling. <laughs> Uh, all right. So then we'll, we'll jump into this next question that we have here. So, I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I mean, your, your rankings, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily consider them based entirely from your projections. Um, or, or is there positional value mixed in to your rankings as well, or or positional scarcity, if you will. So, the real way, of course, is to, you know, just like I said, I risk adjust price and put that in. The real way to do it is to include already a positional scarcity adjustment. So when I do projections or rankings and get some kind of value, they're already adjusted for for uh, the different positions. Catchers are bumped up because of that, right? If you would not consider positions, you would never take a catcher in your life. JT Rimuto <laughs> right? I, I mean, maybe he would be, uh, you know, a, a, a 25th rounder, but... If, if you have to pick a catcher and you have to pick two catchers, my God, he's he's the, the toast of the town. Uh, so, yes. So everything is baked in as well. And what I put out there on Fantasy Pros is literally just straight from my projections. Like, mm. I don't have to touch anything. The projections work as is. Now, personally, of course, I don't take it all for granted. I go through players. I bump up players that I don't that I like that I don't usually more for playing time than anything else I tend yes. to leave the, the rate stats and and their skills but you know if I think you know what I think this guy's gonna get more playing time I bump him up I do that on my own and that creates distinction for myself but you know again the general rule you might be right for one player you might be right bumping down a player here and there but for every four players you're right you'll be wrong for five players and again you know the fantasy pros I, I just put my the ranking straight from ATC that finished in first place. It shows that you can just rely on projections and that will get you the whole way. Again, you, you'll be right. You'll, you'll beat projections here and there, but for every player, right, you'll get another one wrong. Oh, so yeah. in the long run, don't adjust projections too much. 
the more you touch them, the more it'll hurt you in the long run, I think. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Like, it, it, uh, it's to me, like, even when I, you know, I, I combine a bunch of these projection systems together, kind of like you do to, to build my rankings and, and to evaluate my players and get my draft guides together. It's hard to put a evaluation between like the pitchers and hitters too, right? It's like, well, who do I rank first? And and so like that's where I, well, I kind of get. I have an up. answer to that one. I have an answer to that. <laughs> um, the the way to do pitchers and hitters is really to have whatever the league is doing. You might have a right. league that's very heavy pitchers and a league that's very heavy hitters. Your mix between should be the same, especially in roto. Um, and the reason for that is. You know, just look at the at the ridiculous example. Let's say, for example, your league decided pitchers stink. We're going to go 80-20 hitters. So pitcher, no pitcher is taken before the sixth round. It's just heavy, heavy, heavy hitters. If you decided to take pitchers, what's going to happen is your pitching will be enormous because nobody's taking pitchers. But mm -hmm. your hitting will stink because everybody's doing it, right? And imagine the other ridiculous opposite. Let's say nobody takes hitters. Everybody takes pitchers. You're going to have a fantastic hitter team if if you if you do it, and your pitching team's going to stink because you're not taking pitching, right? If you if you want to win, you need to be close to the middle, right? You don't have to be exactly in the middle, but you should roughly gauge your targets and roughly gauge what to do by the league average. You want to beat the league and draft better pitchers, but in terms of the split, do roughly what's in the middle. That's really the way, the best way to go. Yeah, I guess what I was talking about is like when I'm trying to submit the rankings of fantasy pros or whoever I'm submitting them for. Right? It's like, you know, you get the projections, but then it's like, but who's actually valued more? Like, how do you figure that number out? And I've, I, you know, I've come up with my own system to figure out like how to put a grade to everybody. I've done okay with it. Um, you're obviously doing better than me, but uh, <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's, I submitted uh, Jacob Degrom as the number one this year. I, and oh, I thought uh, I was at number two, but either way, yeah, it was still a lot higher than everybody else. It was higher than the batters, also. And yeah. uh, somebody asked me, like, really, why? Well, you do the math, and that's where the the value is. I mean, mm -hmm. I I think if you're playing in a 15 team mixed league, you should be picking a pitcher in the first round because the difference between Jacob Degrom and some of the rest of the pack is enormous. But the difference between Tatis and Bo Bichette. Not as much as you think. Uh, right. It's less than the difference in pitchers. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I do it all by formula, by value, and it comes up, and some years pitchers are more, some years hitters are more. Uh, it's whatever it is. So I, I did see somebody in TGFBI take, uh, I think they took DeGrom number one. I, I There was one league where I think DeGrom won one, Cole went two, and Bieber went three. Something like wow. that. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah that's, there was one that's, pretty crazy uh you just don't yeah. see that so i mean i think we know the answer here but the, our next question for you is like okay so you're entering a draft let's say it's your typical you know let's just speak to probably the majority of the people listening and watching us right now 12 team you know 26 to 28 man rosters you know not 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 these nfbc industry leagues where people are you know going bonkers and in their 15 team 20 team leagues type of that how do you find yourself typically building your roster? You know, uh, is it always best player available or do you bump up like a second baseman because position scarcity? Okay. So we're talking draft, not auction, right? Cause there's a yes, very big just, just, I would, I would just stick with like the standard, okay. like snake drafts. Okay. So there's two questions there. There's how do I build it? And, and the position scarcity, I'll answer the second one first. 
position scarcity, if you calculate the right position scarcity and you bump up all second basemen properly along the way, then you should be indifferent at any point in taking a second baseman for then a third baseman, then an outfielder, then a catcher, right? As long as you've properly valued what the replacement level is at the bottom and how to bump up everybody, you should be indifferent. That's what that's what positional scarcity is. It's how to value different cat different positions together so that you're indifferent at any point. A $17 player is a $17 player is a $17 player. There's no difference between second and short third, third and short if you valued them. So again, it, it's 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 not about bumping for me. It's about knowing the math and saying, listen, the the last second baseman is is going to come up with these statistics. The last first baseman is going to come up with these statistics. So the privilege of taking a second baseman is better than the first. I got to bump up the stats from the second baseman to the first baseman that bumps up everybody else. And that's sort of how it's created. There's a lot of math involved, but I'm trying to give the general flow. No, no, um, makes sense ter- to me. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the snake draft, here's what I do. And I'm going to actually explain it to you in terms of football because I don't know anything about football. Like, I know the shape of a football. I know the color of a football. But I don't know any of the people. Yes, I do know who Patrick Mahomes is. But I could not tell you who the third wide receiver is on the Chiefs. And I did watch the Super Bowl. I just All don't right. know football. Sure. But – I know how to take a list of ranks and draft. And this is what I do. It's called replacement level drafting. You get an auction value, not just a snake, mm. not just a ranking. Rankings don't yes. do anything. You need a value because yes. you need to see tiers. You need tiers. And what I do is I take here's the wide receivers and I have, you know, this guy's $41, 40, 30, 30, whatever it is. You get the the running backs, you get the tight ends, you get the quarterbacks. And it's not about the total dollar amount. It's not about the total value. It's about the drop between the, the next one to the next one. If you don't get the quarterback Mahomes, what quarterback would you get? Two, you know, uh, four drops later, right? You would get the go four picks later. You would get this quarterback. And what do I do in, in running back? If I don't get the guy at the top, then I'm going to get who? And you see which position has the biggest drop in talent. That's mm-hmm. the position you need to take. Yeah. So if, you, if you're going in baseball, do corner infielder, mineral infielder, outfield and starting pitcher and relief pitcher. Whatever the biggest drop is, that's the hot position. That's what you need to take. And the reason why I tell you that I want a starting pitcher first is because the drop between DeGrum and even Darvish is enormous. Mm-hmm. But the drop between Tatis and Bichette is a lot, but not as much. So I have a, a preference to go pitcher because of the drop. It's all about marginal value, not total value. And that's what I do. Going through the draft, I look at what position ha- is the hottest. Which do I need to drop? And of course, I also look at ADP and do I really need to pick this guy? Is this guy going to be available four rounds later? Obviously, I'm going to wait a little bit longer if I think I can get him later and get more value that way. Obviously, I need to keep the categories balanced, so I'm sensitive for that. So if there's two players that are close in value i'll take the one that i need the categories but that's the general method it is the replacement level it's the marginal drop between categories yeah i think the the good i just had a thought on that too was with <laughs> with and i'm like uh where to go because i'm just listening and taking in all of this knowledge so yes. i apologize for stammering here but um <laughs> it, yeah it just it makes you look at how you're playing with these guys because tears, especially in football um, is so important when you're, when you're looking at your draft boards, when you're trying to figure out what type of team you want to build, 
And when you're looking at your leagues and what kind of stats you're counting and getting the points for, um, you know, obviously baseball, you, you have a little bit different gameplay with the, the categories giving you, you know, you want to win your category as opposed to getting X amount of points in each given category by taking this player. So to me, it just, I mean, it's a great, a great base to look at as far as what's different here and what's different there um, between the positions. And, And again, it really just goes back to, your type of league. And, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, uh, you know, off air, the, the one league that I'm in is very pitcher heavy. So DeGrom would be a bona fide first round pick regardless uh, in that league. Even six years ago, DeGrom is basically a first round pick in that league. Um, and there's, there's certain managers in that league that will just go straight pitcher for four, five rounds and give up on the hitting. Um, and, we finally tweaked it so the hitters are more valuable and that margin has shrank a lot, but you still need those really, really good pitchers. That's to, a points to carry league too, right? Team. Yeah, it points is. Points leagues, I feel like, are always pitcher heavy. I'm in one and like I dominate because yep. I just load up on pitchers. But uh, yeah, like the Ariel, the, the one thing that I, you know, I think about, you know, would you say like the relative value thing is like, it's something that it's easy to, to think about, but I also think it's hard sometimes to do it depending on your draft pick, right? So, like, take it, take for instance, like I'm in TGFBI, right? I mean, I'm on the 15. So, there's 15 teams. I'm on the 15, right? I got the last pick. When I make a pick, yeah. I make them back to back. I wait, what, 28 picks for it to come back to me? 29 yeah. picks? Yeah. It, that's yeah, yeah, rough. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, like, if yeah. I need to build my roster the way I want to build my roster, I have to sometimes go, I can't take the the guy that I think is, you know, the best value or whatever. I just need to go take a guy that can help me build my roster the best because he's not coming back to me at all. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Sometimes yeah, yeah. that's tough, too. It's much easier. I like drafting in the middle because in the middle you have a better view and – um you get two passes of information, right? It comes to you now, comes yes. to you then, comes to you then. When you're at the wheel that you are, you're getting only one bit of information. It's coming to you once, and you got to make two decisions on yes. the one, right? There's an informational imbalance. It's a much worse place to be. I, I argue greatly, stay off the middle. And when I did my KDS, it was uh, eight, nine, seven. Like I just stayed in the middle. I mm. wanted some pick in the middle. It's weird. I um, usually like the ends, but now that I'm like, but in a 15 teamer, it's rough, man. Like I see, I don't do a lot of yes. stuff on NFBC. So like, and I, you know, I normally play in 12 team leagues, you know, yeah. with, with staff yeah. and other, in other industry guys that I play with. Uh, I always forget when I get into these 15 teamers, the end kind of sucks. <laughs> Like it's just yeah, not fun to I mean, watch it, that many if, picks go. That run you happens my, and you're done. It, you know, if you use my model, it. I mean, it's hard to do, but you could. It's just that when sure. you look, like I wouldn't look to, if I'm in the middle. Maybe I'll look two second baseman down. If yeah. you're at the end, I'll have to look four second baseman down, and it's a crapshoot because you don't know what other people are going to take. Uh, so you need to be a little bit more focused on category balance because you can. So you have two opportunities to balance your team, right? If you're somewhere in the middle, you're going to go for better value. You're going to only address one need on your team, but you got two 
two needs to address right away. It's yes. easier to balance yourself at the end. So you got to play to your strengths uh, the best way. But, you know, again, uh, look and see what positions are hot. If there's a guy at the end of the tier, you grab him right away. Uh, you know, you look for that mm-hmm. still. Yeah, it's like the, my my next two picks after I ended up getting uh, Manny and, and Lindor early. I had two more picks just before we came on on air. I ended up taking um, I ended up taking Jose Abreu because I don't like the first baseman drop off, and I know it wasn't coming back to me like the good one. And then I took Carlos Carrasco. It was not the first starting pitcher I really wanted, but I think he's got the talent to to hold it down. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it considering, you know, who I got as my first hitters. Yeah. Um, and, and the stability I'm going to have across five categories with, with Manny and, and Lindor. Yep. Um, but sure. yeah, would I have loved another, you know, another few options of pitching a hundred percent. There was a couple of pitchers that went like way out of ADP and even rankings order that I was like, Oh, Brandon Woodruff went it's SP four in my league, by the way. That's how fourth, crazy. Fourth Adam, pitcher? Yes. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Pick 18. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. That guy really wanted some Brandon Woodruff. <laughs> wow. Um, Kudos to anybody I, who want Woodruff, you know? I can yeah. make a lot of jokes right now, but I'm I'm just going to pass on that. I think AJ knows where I'm going with <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> it's a bold strategy. We'll yeah. see if it pays well, off. <laughs> all right, AJ, what's the next question here? Man? All right. So... Uh, sticking with pitchers, though, uh, let, let's go into the relief pitchers a little bit and just keep it simple. You know, what's your general strategy in drafting closers for a saves-only league? Saves-only league meaning, meaning, as in just uh, not saves holds. Um, okay, like a standard saves. five by five. Yeah, standard five yeah. by five. Yeah. You know, the, okay. I know a lot of t- okay. I know a lot of yeah. these are going safe holds. Uh, all yeah. of mine have, yeah. thankfully. Um, but yeah, I know there's a lot out there, especially NFBCs yeah. and, and things like that. So just yeah. wanted to get your thoughts yeah. on this because yeah. it's a tough decision. It's it's so hard yeah. to grasp what people are. Problem doing. Problem is this. that the problem is that you know the save landscape is just changing. You know the 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 uh, Tampa Bay Rays have decided. We're not going to have a closer. We're going to have whoever we think is available. That's cool. Um, (laughs) You know, it's it's a different landscape. There isn't the guy anymore um, in a lot of places. So Mm -hmm. there's a mix. I mean, we know that New York, it's going to be Chapman if it's not Chapman. You know, it's very, very different landscape. And you have to identify that. You also have to know that closers are a bad investment. They rarely return their draft price. They most 50% of closers get booted, you know, Mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle of the season who, how many closers retain their entire job the entire time and don't get injured. Very, very few to me. It's a, it's, you have to look for what the the best return on investment are. Where are the picks that are holding their value? And my research has shown that it's not the elite, not the first two, three guys, which would be like a Liam Hendricks, uh, Josh Hader type this year. It's either the, Second tier, so I guess that would be like a Rysel Iglesias, Edwin yes. Diaz type this year, or just at the very, very bottom. So I think it's if you're going to do it right, take a stab early on at not the first or second closer, but the third, fourth, fifth closer. Uh, I guess Chapman would be included in that, and uh, and then take some gambles later on. 
Um, take quantity over quality. Take uh, three closers or guys with half jobs or speculate. Hopefully, you'll hit on two of them or one of them even, and you'll fab some guys along the way. But get that lockdown guy and then go cheap, cheap, cheap uh, and do it. Um, you know, one thing I just noticed recently is even though the Tampa Bay guys are going to get a safe share, they're still valuable players like Peter Fairbanks mm-hmm. and Diego Castillo and uh, Nick Anderson. They're all very skilled players, and yeah. I think they help they help you in Roto, especially in a deeper league anyways. So they're not so bad, and they give you saves. Like You might be okay with getting two and a half guys instead of a full three, uh, and you'll get enough, enough saves with that. So uh, uh, that's what I would do this year. I've been yeah, doing that forever. <laughs> it's like I'll grab yeah. like one guy early, Me too, know, yeah. early-ish, and then I just kind of go, all right, I'll take a couple you know, bingo balls later and just figure out what's going to happen. And uh, you know, if I caught him, I caught him. I'll pick up whoever off the waiver wire who's going to get called up and be be the guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, what what's your take on taking you know the guys like you know Williams from from Milwaukee? These like elite backup guys. Granted, he's behind Hater, so that's tough. But you know, these elite guys who have the ratios and the strikeouts that are just phenomenal. You know, what's what's your thought on just taking those guys just to help you out in those categories? And then if they, you know, if something happens to the guy in front of them, there's just, you know, mm-hmm. bonus. There's a guy every year or a couple of guys every year that are phenomenal middle relievers that are really worthwhile to take. Um, and obviously Williams was the perfect example last year. The thing is, if you're going to spend money on any one of them, then you're killing your investment because very often these guys have bad track records year to year. You're better off waiting grabbing a guy really late where it really costs you nothing or picking up a guy the first two, three weeks of the season where you see their pretty good K minus walk rate Mm -hmm. is great. And they'll look like they're going this year, pick them up in the second week and then play them. Their cost is zero. The the idea is if you want a good return on investment, you either have to have a high value or you have to have a low cost. And the, the better way, the best way to get the high return investment is the low cost. So never spend money on a middle reliever. I mean, years, everyone's saying, well, Andrew Miller is a great middle reliever. He's worth the money. Now, there's another middle reliever. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that type. That type. But there's always somebody that's going to be almost free. And free is going to get you a better return on investment than spending a mid-round pick on a middle reliever who – could be great, but more often than not, they're not that consistent year to year. So I would not be in on Devin Williams this year for that reason, but I might try somebody very late, very free who could close. Right? Yeah. Devin Williams going like, what, ADP, like 170, 150, something like that. Like, I get it. He's being ranked that high, but that's just people being. Yeah. What about the guy on, on Arizona, uh, Stefan Crichton? Crich- I don't know how to pronounce his name. Yeah. But uh, he's going to be pretty cheap. Yeah. What about pick- picking him? I mean, who knows uh, if Soria is going to hold the job. So for a very, very low value, pick Crichton. will get you some good things. Uh, and, and there you go. Uh, uh, how about uh, in uh, Texas? Jonathan Hernandez really has, you know, uh, good good stats, a lot of strikeouts for there. Going for nothing. And who says Jose Leclerc's any good? He's lost his job before. Take a gamble on Jan- Jonathan Hernandez yeah. and go. There's so many free stabs that you can take. Don't spend any money. That's how I would treat it. I, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I, you know, I, I, we tell people every year not to, not to waste money on, on 
on these guys that that aren't really going to help you and they're just you know shots in the dark at this point so yeah you know, it's it's a big guess. worse <laughs> yeah closers it's a big guessing game i mean in, in the saves saves and holds leagues you obviously have a lot more freedom to to wait it out and and oh, find those well, guys later. Holds guys, I'm going after Devin Williams because he's going to be super valuable. Yeah. Oh right, exactly. right, right, right. He he comes way up, but, but, like, then, just but then he's more league, of a short. Devin Williams is going to get you a value saving saves and holds. It's a very different operation here, right? It's it's yeah. It, it, the math is totally different. You can't mm. anything I just said there doesn't apply, right? No, <laughs> I agree. Yo, yeah, but I'm yeah. saying like in a closers only. I usually like getting kind of one of those not not top tier, but like you said, that mid, you know, next two, three tier group of guys. But even those guys year to year, they're still very volatile. Um, and it's it's injuries. It's, you know, look at Brad Hand. Um, Yates was was up forever and then kind of fell off. Yeah. Um, so Ken, we're seeing Kenley Jansen finally fall off. Yeah, exactly. And he was dominant. He, he's the, he was untouchable. I mean, Before the thing Hader, is, Hater, he was so the like, guy. The, the thing is, fall like, off soon you watch. If um, if you want to punt, you know, that's something else. But if you don't want to punt and you want to be viable and saves, you can't just punt the whole thing. You can't just no. say, "I'll just no. take." my closers in the last few rounds because no. you don't want to be scouring the waiver wire for closers. That's the most you'll, expensive thing on the waiver wire. Way too much money for it. Yep. Yeah. You, you got to hit on, one. you got to hit on two or three at some point. Yeah. You yeah. gotta, you gotta get pay for one, at least one. Right. So if you're going to pay for one, might as well pay. Somebody who has a good return on investment who has a secure job. Yeah. So yeah. you have to pay for something, just pay wisely and do it once for that. And then, then you take your stuff at the end. Yeah, yeah, and and try to be proactive with it too because this position is one of the most you know dealt positions. I feel like, um, and it and it hurts you because closers get dealt as setup guys or, yeah, or turning want, into a setup guy all the time. Yeah, you you want it, you want to be one week ahead, not one week behind. If you're trying to yeah. be a pro, if you're trying to be uh, reactive to it. You're gonna pay top dollar for the guy, and you're yeah. gonna blow all your fab or you know whatever it is, and yeah, you you suffer for it. So, all right, last question here for you, Ariel. Um, it just at the end of your typical drafts, let's let's just say it's a you know typical league where you know it's let's do one catcher, you know, so one catcher, two for one first baseman, you know, whatever corner infield, middle infielder, five outfielders utility and then nine pitchers but we've got like 28 roster spots roughly let's let's put it that way what's your typical lineup construction look like at the end of your drafts are you heavier pitcher are you heavier hitter are you like where do you where do you where's your bench lie i guess is where it kind of comes down to all right well i mean we talked about the hitter versus pitcher thing earlier um in in a 12 team league um, I with it depends how deep your bench is, but I, I generally like taking more pitchers on the bench mm-hmm. and doing a little bit of streaming and a little bit of uh, holding for a future start. Like I'll I'll see a good schedule two weeks from now and I'll grab him now when he's free on Fab, whereas everybody's going to want him the following week, right? Right. I uh, want to be pro just as you said, proactive a week early, right? Uh, so that's how I play my bench. 
I want to get a multi-positional guy if I can on the bench, even if he's not fantastic, just so that I don't have to take more hitters if I have an injury. I can just use my multi-position guy. Um, But in terms of the makeup of the team, um, uh, I'm going to be mostly spread the risk. I don't like doing a stars and scrubs type approach. Mm -hmm. I'm talking more auction now. I play play more auction. So uh, I guess that's more of an auction uh, thing. Uh, But in terms of uh, risk, I like to have as least risk as I can. I like to have balance of categories. I don't like the 40 homer, zero stone bases, zero homer, 40 stone bases guy because, again, there's category risk, there's profile risk, and if any one of those guys go down, I'd rather have a 2020 guy go down and just hurts me evenly, and I'll fill in for whatever I can get on the waiver wire. Um, and, and that's the story. In terms of pitchers, uh, it really depends in a draft what comes to me. I like to get that elite pitcher these days. Uh, I'm not a fan of the double people do the uh, the pocket aces strategy. Yeah, I don't need I've seen to do that, that a lot this year. I don't I don't need to do that. Uh, but I I think you must get one. Uh, so I would get one big guy at the top, and then wait a little bit, get a top closer, and you know then start filling in some pitchers along the way. Uh, don't have a jet. I don't have a, a must get blueprint. I go for value. So I'll have a, a wide range in my different teams thereafter. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I guess. You're, the very first thing you said is kind of what I was, you know, hoping to hear one way or the other. Where it was like you went more pitchers than hitters, like, and and I always preach that too. And I think AJ, you agree with that. You know, yep. when you're building your teams, bench, you want to have, especially bench. in head-to-head leagues, you want to have or, or, or daily lineup leagues, you want to have more pitchers than hitters because you can stream them. Oh yeah, you bounce them oh. out. It, head it, to head even, and daily is a different story. Obviously, and week, but want, weekly too. It's like even their weekly like NFBC teams. You've got to have a lot of hit, a lot of pitchers in your repertoire to be like, well, this average pitcher is only got one start, but this guy who maybe might be a tier below has two. I'm going to start him over this guy. You know, like, well, you're, but you're, in the in the NFBC though, um, there, there's no IL slots, and you're allowed to change your hitter lineup twice a week, right. whereas the pitchers only once. So actually, I tilt a little bit more towards hitters because you want to take advantage of different schedules. So uh, wow. I, I actually would go a little bit more hitters that that way on for an NFBC. See, I do it the opposite because you can because you want to be able to play the matchups. And you want to be able but to you have can't change your you can't change your team in the middle of the week though for pitchers. I, I get that, but that's why you want to be able to like have those options for like to get those two par- two start pitchers as much as as much as possible. Yeah, but I I feel like in that instance, and I haven't played in this league, so I have no real bearings on it. But just if you have the opportunity to change your lineup hitting wise twice a week. And you know you're going to have three or four guys that are you know on a five game week. Okay, you plug them in early, and then you can change them out and yeah. try to pick up those weekend you know plays or, or mid to late week plays. And again, I, I'm not sure when the days you can yeah. change it. So it's it's, and, it's Monday through Thursday is is one, and then it's Friday, okay. Saturday, Sunday is the is yeah. the other half. I mean, if uh, if if I didn't have the if I only had one lineup change each, I'd probably want five pitchers and two hitters on on a, yeah. on, a, on a on a on a bench. But because I can change my hitters, it might be four and three. That's what I'm. You know, I'm tilting a little mm-hmm. bit more because I can make a veil of the hitters. I don't yeah. know why I've always thought about the opposite. I'll have to I'll have to do some more thinking and and kind of research on uh, on that. Yeah. Well, it means you're not. 
It means it, you have you can churn hitters too, right? You can you can churn the bottom of your hitters, and especially yeah. you can take more advantage of it because you can double change. If you got a guy in Colorado, even if he's a stinky guy, yeah. you're gonna want to play him, and he's free on waivers, right? So yeah. get him, get him into your lineup. Don't play him the last half of the week and drop him the following week, and you have two lot two bench spots that just keep churning with it and take advantage of the hitters. Yeah, that's a good point. It it ma- it makes sense. I uh, I just. I've always thought the opposite. So again, I'm going to do a little Try more. Uh, Try I'm going to have to do a little. Do uh, it. I mean, of course, I'm in TGFBI where I've, you know, <laughs> I, it's yeah. Maybe maybe I'll try it there. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Give it a try. the The worst thing that can happen is that it totally fails, and then Justin Mason <laughs> says you're out of the I league. I have totally failed in TGFBI both times I've done it. So as long as you I beat Justin be... Mason's wife, you got to beat his wife. <laughs> she's nice. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to smash on her. She, in this she's league. very nice lady. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, that's all we got for the show, Ariel. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, thanks for making Monday work for for you. And uh, before you go, though, let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter and and, and where you got stuff going on on the internet, man. Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ATCNY. You can read my stuff over at Fangraphs, at Rotoballer, CBS Sportsline, and my projections are on all those sites. So uh, check it out. And you can listen to my podcast, which is the Beats the Shifts podcast. Look it up on any uh, aggregator. Thank you. Thank yes. you. <laughs> all right. Yeah, thank stuff, you very man. much. Uh, this was just, this was like a, a like a like a schooling lesson, man. Like I felt like I, <laughs> like I just. Yeah, this was great stuff, man. You you are definitely smarter than than both and I combined. It feels like so. Uh, this was a great conversation. I hope all the listeners and watchers uh, get get as much of that get as much out of it as we did. And um, we'll have to bring you on again. My my pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man. Have yeah, a good night, man. man. We will uh, we Appreciate will talk it. to you later. All, all right. right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. So no no doubt I uh, I totally screwed up all the slides because I got so <laughs> engrossed huh. into uh, <laughs> I changed it twice also <laughs> yeah I'm still Jeff, I'm still sitting on the power speed with these I'm uh, yeah and no that one didn't get changed uh, forever then it finally yeah, got changed to one of the like other ones and minutes. then now now at the very end I realized I got to change it to the other one so but it's all good <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll we'll get That's to it right. but uh, let's. Uh, Let's close it out, AJ, with the with the music. And uh yeah, we're back on Thursday. You ready for this? Sure. <laughs> back to our Absolutely. NL back to our uh division previews, NL East. Uh that's where we're going next. So good, good. All right, I, I have some fandom there. I know. Case, I feel uh, like nobody we're realized that after weeks this of this might shows. be a three hour show on, on you know, just because of the Phillies. <sighs> Could be, could be. Yeah, I'm the hit the mute button. <laughs> All right, <laughs> see y'all on Thursday. <laughs>